0: Listener production. Welcome to Real Crime. I'm Adam Shand and this is In Plain Sight, Episode 1. This production has a specific aim, to help police to catch a fugitive. An alleged killer named Jonathan Edward Dick is on the run. Known to all as Jono, he's alleged to have slain his own brother. I leave for work at 4.30 in the morning. This seems to be the time that he likes to um, get out there and do his thing. And it has been fun looking left and right before I open the door. Victoria police thinks someone is harbouring Jono in Melbourne. They've offered a $100,000 reward for his capture, but it remains unclaimed. The reason for that, his friends say, is that Jono is living completely off the grid, leaving no trace of his existence. And he's alone and totally self-sufficient. So there's no one to give him up.
1: I 100% guarantee that there'll be other people. I don't think he's stopped. I think that he's gonna keep going.
0: They say police could offer a million dollars and it would make no difference. Wherever he is, Jono is biding his time. Somewhere in the city of five million people, a paranoid schizophrenic with a price of a hundred thousand dollars on his head, is hiding in plain sight.
2: I said, you're not going to find him. This is a guy who doesn't stand out. Um, This is a guy who doesn't use a mobile phone. He doesn't use a credit card. He doesn't use computers or electronics. Basically, any way that you think you can try and track him, he does not use. Unfortunately, I think he's going to be found in five years' time when he botches another attack.
0: Jono's been on the run since February 2017. It's possible that he's dead and his body has not been recovered. But, as you'll hear later, recent events make that unlikely.
1: With his level of psychosis, nobody's safe. Even whether you know him or you don't, nobody's safe.
0: This is the most dangerous type of bloke to society. He's smart enough not to get caught, but crazy enough to do the things that he's done, you know? He's hanging in the middle there somewhere. Let's go back to when this story began. On February 3, 2017, 36-year-old David Dick was on his way to his job as a concreter. He lived behind the Doncaster shopping town and he would cut through the car park to catch a bus to work. But when he emerged from the lift, he was confronted by a man wielding a samurai sword and a knife.
3: from Westfield Doncaster shows Jonathan carrying the weapon, waiting to cross paths with his younger brother at the lifts.
0: Investigators from Victoria Police's homicide squad were confronted with a horrific scene. The killing was one of the most brutal the officers involved had attended for many years. The killer had struck David Dick with the sword and then used a knife to cut his throat. His body was found by an early morning exercise group. The killer was gone, but there was a blood trail leading away from the murder scene and out of the car park, suggesting the killer had injured himself. It ended at the Berkeley apartment block, 60 metres away from the shopping centre. Maybe he'd parked his getaway car there, but no witnesses saw a bleeding man getting into a car. However, there was CCTV footage of the incident. David's mother, Carol, her youngest son, Simon, and her brother, John, viewed the footage of the suspect who'd killed David. And they had no idea who it was, as Carol Cloak told Channel 9's A Current Affair last year. The detective asked me if I had ever seen this person before. I said, no,
3: I don't know him at all. i don't never seen David with him. He was side on. It was quite clear. I didn't recognise him. Mr Dick's mother, Carol Cloak, made a desperate and tearful plea on Tuesday to anybody who had information about her son's murder.
0: David had two siblings, a younger brother named Simon and Jono, who was three years older. When Jono's friends saw the CCTV images, they knew the man in them. Jono had grown up with these four friends in Wallen a small town on the northern fringe of Melbourne, these were his lifelong friends, like Gareth Jones.
2: A friend said, look at the news, and as soon as I told the news, I'm like, it's Jono. But it was classic Jono. It was Jono with the hair from when we were in high school. It was so
0: obviously him, it was funny. Another was David Camerata.
1: So basically, um, I was at work and I heard it come on the radio that firstly I heard David Dick and I'm like, well, there couldn't be many of them around. And then I hear murder. So I run to the computer, the video pops up and it's Jono at deadlift and I'm like, someone's killed, Jono. And then I've started reading like slowly, I calm down a little bit, I'm reading and I'm like, police are looking for this suspect. And I'm like, oh, shit, and then everything sort of
0: clicked. And then David called Emma Beatty, who'd been inseparable with Jono at high school. I
1: was in my car and Dave rang me and he was really upset and he was just saying, Em, Em, he's done it. And I'm like, "What? Well, what are you talking about? And so he told me and he said, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go. And then he hung up and so I went straight home and I got online and... And watch the footage, and couldn't
0: believe it. David spoke to his wife, Danny, who'd also grown up in Wallen. As you'll see, she was never a fan of Jono.
3: I got a phone call from David, panicked, saying, "I think Jono's just caught his brother." I was near a computer, so I um, got the age up, and I saw the surveillance picture, and in a heartbeat, I knew it was. standing there at the lift, that picture. And then um, I think we both just went cold. For years people were telling us when he came to our house that night that he was just manic, he wasn't there to hurt you, he was just coming to seek help, perhaps, because we were very terrified.
0: Jono's Wallen friends were shocked that Jono's mother had not recognised her own son. A number called Crime Stoppers to identify him. Now, police had a suspect. Detective Inspector Mick Hughes.
4: After the media conference yesterday, we had significant contacts that uh, took us to the stage where he became a person of interest.
0: Even then, when a detective broke the news, Jono's mum struggled with the idea that her beloved son may have killed his brother. He said, we think it's
2: Jonathan. And I looked at him in shock. I said, don't be ridiculous. I gave the policeman my phone and said, just look up Jonathan Dick. It will be under J
0: in my phone. And we couldn't get through. It still puzzles Jono's friends, many of whom hadn't seen him for years, but they recognised him instantly. David Camerata.
1: To be honest, I can't speak on how grief affects people. I mean, they're obviously shocked at what had just happened and everything like that. However, if you had have showed me that photo from 30 metres away, I would have been able to tell you that that was him.
0: It was left to Detective Inspector Mick Hughes to explain to the media how his family didn't pick Jono.
4: You know, I've had the question, how would you not know know that your son? Well, there's a couple of things there. He's recently uh, changed his hairstyle and cut it quite short. But uh, this family are under so much stress, I can't second guess, uh, you know, why they wouldn't recognise him. I know I spoke to Carol yesterday, I was with her for about an hour, and John, and Simon, and not one of them had an inkling that this uh, could have even been a possibility, and even when we spoke to Carol this morning, she's coming to terms with it, but I really don't believe she has any belief that it is.
0: Carol Cloak has declined my invitation for an interview, but when I spoke to her, she maintained that she still can't recognise her son in the footage. The failure to identify Jono gave him a 24-hour head start. Investigators wasted time on two other suspects when they could have been chasing Jono. Now he was the only one in the frame.
4: Was there anything taken from David's person? No. No, nothing to indicate that. And that's a bit of a puzzle to us is what the uh, motivation is.
0: On February 11, Jono's blue Ford sedan was found in Ivanhoe, nine kilometres away from the shopping centre. But he apparently had access to another vehicle, so he could have been anywhere. He was later picked up on CCTV an hour after the murder, walking through a park near where his Ford was found. He seemed calm but purposeful as he crossed the park wearing a backpack. The samurai sword used in the murder was found in Jono's car, but police believed he still had the knife.
4: We're just concerned for his safety that this may be an overwhelming situation to him. Uh, We're saying uh, don't do anything to hurt yourself. Um, You reach out to us, and we'll make sure someone gets support around you. Just remember you've still got a family here, regardless of the circumstances you may find yourself in.
0: Jono's former best friend, David Camerata, remembers the days after the murder as surreal and terrifying. He gave a statement to police, but was reluctant to include that Jono did have a possible motive. There'd been a conflict between Jono and his brother over mortgage payments for a house they'd once shared.
1: I said, look, I've got some information that I don't want to put in my statement because I don't want to have to go to court and say this because he's going to sit there prison for god knows how long and then he's going to come out and then I'm probably next it got frosty in there real quick and he said uh basically you have to put it in if you don't put it in I'll get you up on the stands and if you don't say it I'll know you're withholding this and lying in court if you say you don't know and you could potentially be facing prison time yourself so I started getting like this day I mean I'd I'd just Learned that he had done this, and David died, and given statements. It's just a massive day.
0: So you go home feeling very much out of sorts. This is probably this is just about the weirdest, worst day of your life. I'll
1: never forget this day. I mean, I parked in a car park, and I refused to get in the lift. I walked up ten levels of the car park with a huge knife in my hand, which I, it was the most nervous walk I was sweaty, I was looking around every car, I was waiting, I was literally waiting for someone to jump out and get me. That was probably one of the worst 10-15 minutes of my life.
0: An incident from four years earlier kept replaying itself over and over in David Camerata's mind. He and wife Danny hadn't seen Jono since a bizarre visit late one night.
4: He
3: actually showed up randomly at 11 o'clock at our house and David thought it was us already because it was really odd for someone to ring the doorbell at 11 o'clock at night.
0: At that time, the couple had a high security gate on the front and Jono was standing in the street outside. I've gone
1: at the front and I'm like, who is it? And he's like, it's me. If you come outside and talk to me, I promise I'll put the knife down. So, Had you seen the knife at this point? I hadn't seen it and didn't know if he had I couldn't see him. I said, well, throw the knife under the gate, because I didn't know if he actually had one. I said, if you throw the knife under the gate, I'll come out there and I'll talk to you. He's like, all right, all right. So next thing, this huge knife comes flying under the gate. It's a big lock knife. I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, he's actually got a knife there. I don't know what he's got it for, I've no idea. So I said to him, all right, well... I'll come out and talk to you, but I said before I come out there, I said empty your pockets, all your pockets out onto the bottom of my car. And I said, and then sit in the middle of the driveway and put your hands on your head and um, I'll come out there. So he did all that and he was actually quite submissive. So I've gone out the front and I'm like, what are you doing here? Like what do you want? And he's like, oh we really need to talk to each other about and then he started rambling about he's been abducted by aliens and he had a lobotomy and he'd been probed and We're gonna burn in a fire. Needed to speak to my dad, which he didn't have much contact with my dad, so I can't understand why. And then he was talking about other things where places apparently we'd been that I'd never even heard of. Just things like that. So basically, I wanted him away from the house because the kids were in the house. I told Danny to lock the door, call the cops. I didn't want him around the house. So I said, you get in the car, I'll drive you to the St. Albans train station. And I got him in the car and I had the knife and I had it under my right leg, you know, like I can fight okay. I was a bit like, well, you know, I don't wanna be caught out here. So basically I wound my window down, had the knife open under my leg and um, just with my hand on know, I was driving and he was talking just out of, you know, incoherent. We get to the train station, he said, oh, I really wanna talk, can I talk to you for a while? And I said, all right, so we pulled over in the car park and I opened the door one foot out and one foot in and uh, I let him talk and he just talked about us living in alternate universes and um, you know all these really weird things and I was sort of explaining to him that you obviously need to get some help and you know what you're saying I don't quite understand but you, I'm the wrong person to be talking this stuff to. Anyway went on for 15-20 minutes I let him ramble and then I said alright I've got to go mate and, I got him out, I put him on the train, I made sure that he was physically on the train, doors closed, and I watched him uh, go away.
3: Yeah, uh, I was really scared, yeah, because I just thought it was so odd that he travelled by public transport from Seymour to our house, and I actually looked it up, and there's no straight route. It would have taken him three, four hours, let's say, changing buses, trains and buses to come here and then walking a little bit. So to travel that far at that time of night with a weapon, it didn't sit well with me. I was quite alarmed.
0: David handed over Jono's knife to the police and was advised to contact a CAT team, crisis assessment and treatment team in Seymour, where Jono was living. The next day... Jono fronted up to David's workplace.
1: Just finished work, the gear on, newspaper in his hand, and he buzzed the door. I said, what's going on, you know, why did you come last night? He's like, oh, there's a guy on the train, he's taking photos of me. I need that knife back. And I said, I don't have that knife. I said, you've got to talk to the police. The police have the knife. And he got upset at that. Not violent upset, but he could see it just burning his soul. He said, oh, my brother got that when he was bird watching or something in America, some story like that. I said, well, look, if you want it, call them. They've got it. And I told him that day as well. I said, listen, you need some help badly. I said, you're welcome to come here at any stage. Anytime you want to call me, you can call me. But do not ever come to my house again. OK, with the family there, I don't want you there. And I was it. we shook hands.
0: Jono was spotted only once in the weeks after David Dick was killed. He was withdrawing some money at a bank in... The CCTV image showed him at the counter, making the transaction without any difficulty, and then leaving the branch. It seemed unlikely that Jono's freedom could last long. How could someone suffering paranoid delusions stay out of sight? Yet Jono had seemingly vanished into thin air. He'd left his wallet at home, left his phone at home, he left his world behind him, and he walked away. As the police manhunt continued with no result, Jono's mother was conducting her own search for her son.
3: I would get on the trains and walk around Melbourne streets just looking. I did that in the beginning, but I didn't tell the detectives because I really thought if I found him, I'd probably hide him.
0: Jono is not a man who stands out in a crowd. He's heavy set and 176 centimetres tall with mousy brown hair. His only distinguishing marks are his tattoos, a Wolverine versus Sabretooth on his right thigh from the X-Men series and another of the Incredible Hulk on his left calf. Gareth says they won't be of much help.
2: You could say, oh, he's got those tattoos, but Jono doesn't wear shorts. (laughs) Jono, you know, he never wore shorts back then, so why is he going to wear them now?
0: As time went by with no sign of Jono, life for Danny and David began to return to something like normal. They had three young boys to raise and a jewellery business to look after.
1: And then we spent a couple of days away from home just because we're, you know, be vigilant that way. Got some security put in and that was it went on with life sort of thing?
3: Um, Friends and family, um, people that went to school with him sort of reassured us and said that that was just targeted at his brother. They had a falling out over a house because I think nobody saw this coming to be honest and I think I would have reassured other people in the same boat. As time went on we just thought he'd just run away. We just sort of thought okay he's gone into state he had this stuck in his head that he wanted to do this to his brother and it's done he'd be relieved now and he'll go hiding and he'll eventually be caught
1: every time I'd open the door and I'd walk out onto that stairs there I'd obviously look up and down the street so that's the way I've been living now since for quite a while not looking over my shoulder but just looking over your shoulder yeah you yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> So basically then, time goes by, and you know, you check your security cameras almost nightly, you know, if you hear anything, you get up, you have a look, and just things like that. So just sounds bad, but I started to feel a bit of sympathy for him, and I was thinking, you know, geez, he must have been really upset with his brother, and he's done this, and maybe he's killed himself in the bush because he's so upset at what he had done. And um, that was that, yeah. So I started to relax a little. I really did, I started to relax a little.
0: On August 20, 2018, 18 months after the killing of David Dick, Jono was added to Australia's most wanted list. Having exhausted all possibilities in Victoria, police assumed Jono was interstate in southern New South Wales, where his mother lived, or in Queensland, where his father had died in 2016. If Jono himself was even still alive. Three days later, as you'll hear in episode two, Both assumptions proved to be wrong.
3: He wanted me to find my husband and my kids to find my husband dead on the driveway. So it's, yeah, it's just absolutely horrific to think that there's somebody out there that is just so heartless and cold. Where he was hiding in the the front, he would have heard the kids laughing minutes before... And he didn't stop. He didn't stop and think, there's kids inside.
0: In Plain Sight is a real crime production. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Audio editing, mixing and original score by Matt Nikolich. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nolly Weh Shand. Listener.